Hey everyone, thank you guys for listening to Indigenous Flame, where every voice creates a spark. Today we have a very special guest. We have Kelly Holmes, who is the founder of Native Max New Media and the CEO of Native Fashion in the City. She is also one of the co-founders of the Creative Nations Collective. So Kelly, tell everyone hi and let them know a little about yourself. Hello everyone, good evening. My name is Kelly Holmes. My Lakota name is Wambli Okiyanwi, which means flies among eagles woman in the Lakota language. And I am Minikoji Lakota from the Cheyenne River Reservation in South Dakota. But I am currently speaking from the original homelands of the Arapaho, Northern Cheyenne, Ute Mountain Ute, Southern Ute, and Ocheti Shakongwe peoples. And I am in Denver, Colorado. I am the founder and editor-in-chief of Native Max Magazine and also the um, sort of the CEO. And Native Max is a digital media company devoted to inspiring, entertaining, and celebrating Indigenous people through positive storytelling across a wide range of platforms from the magazine to online social media, event planning, um, e-commerce. We pretty much do all kinds of stuff. Uh, Just recently, I have been doing video and podcasts Um, production so that's pretty fun it's pretty cool I love learning new software new programs I love to I love doing video and audio um, production it's definitely fun obviously I also love to do graphic design uh, marketing I'm like all about that life it's pretty cool web design Um, I do all of that digital marketing so I'm able to kind of take all that I love to do and to apply it to the magazine. And I also love to write as well. I totally forgot to even mention that, but I love writing too. Writing is my passion. So yeah, that's kind of a little bit of what I do. I, um, I'm also the event director, the founder and event director for Native Fashion in the City, which is a developmental program and annual event where we create opportunities for indigenous people to explore fashion in the capacity of like photography, modeling, styling, event planning, designing, all of that. And I'm also the co-founding member for Creative Nations, which is a collective of native artists out of Colorado, where we, again, just come up with opportunities for Native artists to uh, thrive and succeed. I am obviously all about creating opportunities for Indigenous people to succeed in whatever, you know, manner, whatever career interest, whatever it is, I love to be that person 
So that's a little bit about myself, a little bit of my introduction. Yay! And you guys, let me tell you, when Kelly's mentioning all that she does, it only just scratches the surface. Um, so much work goes into putting together a magazine, but also into organizing fashion shows. Everything that she just said, it just scratches the surface of the work that she does. And all of that work is so incredible, which brings me to the very first issue of Native Max. So I've had the pleasure of working with Kelly on Native Max, and I was there for the very first issue. When I was brought on, they had just done the preview issue and were working on the full issue. And let me tell you, <laughs> there were so many amazing things happening behind the scenes. But I think the one that sticks out to me and really just kind of drives the point home that Native people have become like the masters of creating miracles from like little to nothing. You know, we don't have the funding that a lot of organizations have or other businesses. We don't have people just running in to invest in us. So we have to do things like out of pocket and, you know, and using what resources we have available. And Native Max is a great example of a miracle that was created because the very first issue, um, I'm a graphic designer, a web designer, and which is part of the reason that I was brought on. But the very first issue, me and Kelly were working on putting the, together the layout and we needed it in a certain format for it to be printed. So I was like, yeah, I could do that. And she sent me the file and my mind was blown because the very first issue of Native Max which is beautiful, by the way, was designed on MS Paint. And the entire issue was a Word document. <laughs> Facts. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, Kelly, what I want to know is, like, when you are designing this, um, because you are very new to graphic design and putting together, like, a digital publication at the time, like, how did you get started? And what were some of the struggles that you faced in trying to learn how to use paint to create the images that you saw in your mind, but not having, you know, the resources of, like, being able to use, like, Photoshop or, you know, other graphic design programs that were popular at that time? Basically the how and why of everything, my, my flow of everything pretty much. I am amazed myself, to be honest. Um, so I will start from the very beginning. I have always had an interest in magazines growing up. Obviously, you know, I'm a youth um, in the 2000s, so early 2000s. So, um, you know, this was before really social media. Like there were fashion bloggers, like fashion blogs, style blogs. And um, and then there was magazines. That's where you get your outfit inspiration. That's where I got mine. I would cut out and make collages of all the, you know, models and all of the outfit ideas that I wanted and couldn't afford anything that I cut out. But you know, I was really good at sort of thrifting clothes and sort of copying and making them and sewing them and repurposing them into something really cool and stylish. And I was good at that. And so I was very like into magazines, primarily, you know, like Teen Vogue, Seventeen, uh, yeah, L Girl, if anyone remembers that, Cosmo Girl. So I was 
you know, heavily into magazines. I collected magazines like a weird kid. I, yeah, I collected them. And so I, but I always like, I did more than just flip through. I pretty much took in everything that was in the magazine. I was like, there's fashion and there's stories like real hard hitting emotional stories of other kids in the world that are going through a lot. So, you know, and there's also the design elements, there's this and that. So I really kind of studied, like really took in what a magazine was. And I was only like 13 years old. And I, of course, came up with this idea to have my own sort of native magazine that featured native fashion, but yet, you know, had the real stories of our native people in it. And I came up with that idea when I was 16 years old. And I decided to put it on the back burner because I was still a kid. But when I took the idea out, I still had that fresh in my head of what I wanted to do. So what I did was I, I seriously bought a big binder, like a big empty binder. And I punched holes in all these white computer paper. And I seriously drew out a whole blueprint with a pencil and pens of what I wanted the magazine to look like. And I still have it. I still have that um, in my junk, in my my junk (laughs) closet, but I have the blueprint of what I wanted and I could just see it in my head. And I remember thinking, you know, I also grew up with a lot of the indigenous publications around. And um, I remember like thinking these were sort of, uninteresting you know they weren't something I'm like I want to pick this up and like carry it around with me like I wanted something you know very visual visually aesthetically amazing something that you know is going to be entertaining but yet educational but yet engaging something that was going to just pop out to you but yet still represented our people so I had these ideas in my head, but obviously there weren't a lot of resources for how to, you know, how to build a magazine from scratch or, you know, magazines 101, like there's nothing, there were no resources like that unless you went to school. And I thought to myself, like, this can't wait. I have to do this right now. So I went into MS Paint on my laptop and I did... I did try to use, I think one of my friends tried to show me how to use Corel, Corel, and I could not get it. Um, He tried to show me how to use Photoshop. I still couldn't get it. It was very hard for me to grasp. I'm that type of learner where I have to pretty much do it myself to learn. And so I couldn't learn that right away. So I decided to open up MS Paint and kind of create like a page size canvas on there. And I pretty much started from scratch. Um, I wrote the stories and wrote the content and then I would go and I would put them into MS Paint and I would turn it into a JPEG and then I would transfer transfer it to Microsoft Word And then I bundled it up into a PDF and sent it to the printer. And I actually didn't tell anybody that 
but um, I think I shared it. I shared with Johnny what I did because I, when I met Johnny, I, she told me she used InDesign and all of that stuff. And I told her homegirl, I didn't use any of that stuff. Could you show me how to do that? And she was floored. She couldn't believe it. But, you know, I guess as she was saying, native people were resilient. You know, we, don't have and this was before you know adobe had the cool package deals now you know where you could subscribe to like a bunch of software you know services for a bundle they didn't have that back then so you know it was expensive and then two it was very hard to learn you know and there again at the time there weren't a lot of free resources on even how to use these so um, you know, as Native people, Indigenous people, brown people will find a way to make it happen. So that's kind of what I did. And that's how I started the first issue. So yeah, the the struggles of the first issue, obviously, was that's time consuming. It's very time consuming when I have a change or, you know, an edit I need to make, I can't just go in, open a file and you know, I literally have to work on the same JPEG or the same, yeah, JPEG artwork thing. And yeah, it was very time consuming, but I feel like I was able to fully get my ideas out, like the art that I wanted to make it, what I wanted to make happen, I was able to put it out there. Um, so that's sort of <laughs> that's the beginning of the first issue. And did you ever expect the response that you got when you released the first issue? Because I remember being absolutely floored because, you know, we kind of thought like we have something good. We have something unique and we hope people like it. But then people absolutely loved it. <laughs> Um, were you surprised by the response and then just how quickly Native Max started to grow from there? Oh, yeah. The response I was really surprised about. Um, people loved it. People loved the design of it. They loved the, um, the art, the artwork and the graphics. I And I made a point, made it a point to, I'm not putting it down but the, I made it a point to stay away from the four sacred colors the red yellow black white combo because again I wanted this issue to be very or I wanted to I wanted the magazine to be very modern and I didn't want to pigeonhole us into you know um sort of the I can't think of the word for it, but I just wanted it to be modern and appealing and to also, you know, um, to um, appeal to non-natives as well. And that's kind of what this magazine did. And so I was really shocked by the response to it. I had a lot of good feedback the only negative feedback I think that I did receive was um, Mariah Watchman, the cover photo. She had her arms up. It's a close-up shot of her, and she had her arms up, and she's wearing a bandeau, bandeau. I don't know how you pronounce <laughs> that, bandeau. 
where it's like the strip of cloth across the breast area, you know, it's cute. She had the body for it. So amazing. Do it. You know, go, you go girl. But she was wearing that. And, you know, I love the look in her eyes. She was a very good model and very talented. She was just fresh off of um, America's Got Talent and or America's, Got, America's Next Top Model. Sorry. And I was, I just love the photos. Uh, Whitney Minthorn was an amazing photographer. He's still an amazing photographer. And I just felt like this was it. This would just wow and would shock everybody and will show everybody that we are serious. So I put that on the cover. And of course, everyone said we're trying to be the next Maxim or whatever. She's topless and we're very provocative and sexualizing. And, you know, it, it, so that was like what the negative feedback that I got, but you know, I, I knew the truth of it. You know, it wasn't that at all. It was, you know, we're here to show the world that, especially in our communities, that, you know, we're a new modern magazine that, you know, we're stepping out of the box and, um, you know, pushing that envelope of what a native publication can do. So that's really what I aimed for. And again, the feedback was pretty good. And, you know, it got out that I designed it on MS Paint. So it was kind of shocking to people. They were very surprised. And um, I, again, I'm shocked myself. I don't know how, how I even got the energy to do that. I just had a baby too. So, but I, I will admit after I, we released the first issue. I definitely made myself um, learn in design. So I wanted them to go through the same process every issue. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's funny too, that when it comes to native fashion, so many people jump right to that. No matter what, you know, it doesn't matter if the model is clothed or if she's just wearing a, even a modest bathing suit. It always comes down to these discussions that we're hypersexualizing the image of Native people. And it's always like a combative conversation because, you know, there are so many valid points. But at the same time, you know, the hypersexualization that we do face as Native women, especially, you know, that is something that is being done by non-Natives. And it's something where they don't allow us the autonomy over our own bodies or give us the opportunity to consent to the way that they portray us, as opposed to the way that in the fashion industry works, you know, we're designing, we're creating, and we're putting together very specific images to fit, you know, this vision that you have because it is art. And I haven't seen any native fashion that I would consider hypersexualized. You know, like there's some things, you know, like the bandeau tops or, you know, mini skirts, crop tops even. You know, I don't necessarily see women wearing those as being hypersexual. Um, but then again, you know, I don't mm -hmm. look at a native woman and think, oh, you know, like, like we don't do that to each other. But you know, with all the discussions of like the murdered and missing indigenous women and the factors that play into it, it always comes back to hypersexualization and the belief that as Native women, especially that we need to be modest. But by modest, it means basically making ourselves disappear. 
it's not about wearing modest clothing because, you know, we all know that sexual violence and, you know, violence in general, it has nothing to do with, you know, sex or pleasure. It has to do with power and humiliation and being able to mm-hmm. take that. So, you know, I, I find it interesting that fashion sparks these conversations that are so heated within the Indian country and that, you know, we're still struggling to find like that balance in being able to kind of understand each other's perspectives and be respectful of each other's perspectives without having to vilify each Mm -hmm. other. But when it comes to native fashion, it seems that native fashion is always being vilified, you know? (laughs) Mm -hmm. I, I totally agree, Johnny. Um, I, ever since I first started, I remember I would get things said to me and I think you were even a, a present Um, during some of the times where, you know, I had fashion shows happening or photo shoots. And, you know, I usually get a designer, a native designer to come and dress the native models. So, you know, so all of our photo shoots, I do try to keep it all indigenous. So indigenous photographers, models, stylists, um, photographers, everybody. And I would usually get like families you know, um, they're kind of on the sideline over here watching and they will say stuff. They will say, oh, that skirt's too small or there's a slit in that dress or she's showing too much skin. And it was all in an, um, like with an upset tone. And I, I could definitely take criticism and, you know, but that's that right there. Um, and th- again, this happened at photo shoots, fashion shows, um, events that I've done. And it's really sad because, you know, historically, our people weren't, you know, they weren't dressed head to toe, mm-hmm. head to toe, covering every little inch of their skin. Let's be honest here. I mean, we're still in existence. So there's been snagging, you know, there's been a history it's of so snagging sweet. and it's yeah, you know, so we're not going <laughs> to... <laughs> it's so true, because I'm just not thinking of... I am So since I'm Oto and Choctaw, like, our Oto and mm-hmm. regalia is, you know, very long sleeves, long dresses. But the Choctaw regalia, um, we have prairie dresses, which very much resemble, like, colonial dresses. And I've always had an mm-hmm. issue with it, because it's... Like, it doesn't seem like regalia to me, you know? <laughs> But it was funny because I was yeah. asking, well, like, well, what did our traditional regalia look like? Because I was thinking, you know, let's start reclaiming this. I could do that. And then I was laughing because my cousin was like, Johnny, I don't think you can. And I'm like, why? And she's like, because you're you. And our ancestors, you know, our traditional regalia, you know, were basically like a leather wrap skirt or we used like turkey feathers. Um, but for the most part, we were topless. And I was cracking up because I was like, yeah, no, not for me. <laughs> you know, and it's not mm-hmm. that it's not that I don't think anything's wrong with nudity or anything, but I can't see myself being that groundbreaking person who's gonna walk into a powwow topless, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. And just be like, I, I know, <laughs> I know what you mean. I yeah, I so there's you know, talking with many from different tribes there's been you know like summer wear is different from like 
fall winter wear and usually you're showing more skin there were some tribes that actually the women would go topless but it wasn't looked at as sexual it was you know seriously it's hot out it's hot damp and humid out you know it's fine but again like you said johnny we don't we didn't we don't sexualize each other you know um but unfortunately a lot of the colonization that has happened just really skewed that you know and so we still carry it we still carry it on today like it's still present that um sort of judgment and pressure on our native women and i don't hear i usually didn't hear anything being said to native men that you know i worked with but it was usually women like oh there's a slit in that ribbon ribbon skirt you know that's sexual and you know they would say stuff and it would hurt their feelings it would hurt the model's feelings and then you could just see the confidence being sucked out of them and i would just talk to them like okay well do you want to wear something different you know do you would it just make you feel better if you just wore something different or you know so i've seen that really i i've seen that in my work and i you know everyone's care everyone's safety is you know the utmost importance to me i take priority or is priority for me is making sure everyone is very comfortable i do not make anybody wear something they don't want to wear and so I would never, you know, put anyone in that position. So it, it it's just really hard, you know, um, dealing with that and seeing that within our communities, especially when it's not even um, in that way either, you know. And it's talking with, um, I interviewed somebody for our last issue, and it's all about owning our sexuality and owning our power as, you know, Native people. And, you know, that's kind of what we're doing. We're owning our sexuality and we're owning our power. We're not wanting to be judged. We're not, you know, we just want to empower ourselves and, you know, gain that self-confidence and that self-esteem, you know, to take on the world. So it's really tough dealing with that too sometimes. I know I heard all of that when I first started because, again, uh, we're, we were pretty groundbreaking. You're we pretty, <laughs> you know, we just came out the door, like busting through the door, like, hey, you know, look at us. Not at all were we quiet about anything. And it, and also it wasn't by design either. I, I seriously did not mean to do that. I'm just like, you know, this is something I highly believe in and something that as a youth, I wish there was, you know, because I was very self-conscious about my body and, you know, I didn't look at myself as beautiful at all because everyone else dictated what I should look at, you know, and how I should look when, you know, it wasn't, it was never me to say anything about how I wanted to look. So um, that's kind of, yeah, another, I guess, viewpoint of Native Max is to make sure everyone's very comfortable, you know, with themselves and what's in themselves as well. You know, our tagline is stay connected to your culture and connect to your culture. And, you know, that's, that's yourself as well. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that's always been like the most beautiful thing about Native Max is that we've always prioritized like building confidence and making sure that 
our models are safe. Um, you know, we've always vetted like all the photographers. We've vetted everybody who is involved in photo shoots just to make sure that, you know, our youth and our kids that wanted to get into modeling or to get into the industry um, were being introduced to that world and knowing that they have autonomy and they have a say in how comfortable they should be. And, you know, and to let people know if somebody's making them uncomfortable or acting inappropriate, that they should always let us know. And also to bring them in and know that they're going to be safe with the people that we've invited to take photographs or, you know, to really just bring them in and just kind of also provide mentorship. But I think that's one of the things that has always struck me and stayed with me from Native Max because, you know, it is important that we prioritize the safety of our youth who are looking to get into these industries, you know, whether it's fashion or even, you know, geek culture or gaming, because these spaces weren't necessarily made with us in mind. And when we go into these spaces because of racism and you know, just how normalized it is, a lot of these, a lot of the time, like we're walking into hostile environments. And I've always loved that with Native Max, it kind of um, changed my perspective as what we should expect or and what we should put up with. Like it doesn't have to be cutthroat. It doesn't have to be like competition with each other or tearing each other down or pushing each other over to get ahead, you know, that we can bring each other up and support each other. I think that's the most beautiful thing that has really just stayed with me with Native Max. Yes, definitely. I agree. You know, there's sort of this um, cultural sensitivity that I have to have with our people. And, you know, I learned with business is that, you know, you have to be very squared up, you know, um, make eye contact with everybody. But I know when to switch that on and off, you know, when I'm in a very professional setting with mostly non-native people, I will do that. And it helps that I'm pretty tall, you know, helps me that I'm tall, I could do that. But with our people, I'm more sensitive. I know, you know, how to conduct myself. So I'm not so intimidating, because obviously, um, a lot of indigenous people, um, um, speaking from experience with my own tribe, I, you know, that's very disrespectful when you do that to people. So I try not to do that. I try to have cultural sensitivity within um, our spaces. And the last uh, few years, we've had to have auditions for our fashion show, Native Fashion in the City. And the reason why we have to do that is because, and they're the, your standard audition you know, in person, you have to show up at a certain time, dressed a certain way, basically all black, <laughs> dressed in all black. Um, and you have to be ready to model in front of all these people, including me and judges. And it's very nerve wracking. But the reason why we do this is because, um, you know, with Native Fashion in the city, we wanted to set the bar, set our bar very high because we want to establish ourselves as the premier Native Fashion organization and fashion show in North America. So that's a huge, you know, a huge undertaking. So we decided to do that. And obviously too, the fashion industry is very cutthroat and competitive, but at the same time, we don't make everybody like, we don't do the standard yelling at everybody and cussing everyone out, putting people down. Like, 
I, I make it a point to work with everybody and one-on-one like, Hey, who here hasn't modeled? And usually it's a lot of people and I'll say, okay, well, let me work with you over here. I want to give you a good fighting chance. And, you know, a lot of people really do take it the first time, like, okay. And then they kill it. Like they have a natural, natural talent for this. Um, and it's also a learning opportunity for those who do want to pursue fashion, but, you know, weren't able to, to secure a spot. They're able to practice. And also they, this process helps people or helps especially youth uh, grow their self-confidence and self-esteem. They're able to walk into a room held up high because they competed in an audition in front of all these people. They were able to, you know, um, they were able to accomplish that, you know, um, get their shyness and seriously model walk in front of a whole room of strangers. And so we do make it to where everybody sort of learns something, takes home, you know, a learning lesson, you know, whatever it is. And it's a chance for them to really step out of the comfort zone. And it gives others opportunity to model, you know, to pursue modeling professionally. So I love that too about us is that, you know, we're able to have this, again, the cultural sensitivity to our people and to be able to work with our people and our people to be comfortable with us. But at the same time to kind of hold this standard of like, hey, we are serious into the world. I'm talking to the world, you know, um, that we're serious here. Even though we're Native American people, we fight against stereotypes all the time, every day. We are very serious about what we want to do. So I, that's what I love about Native Max and Native Fashion in the City. And Native Max really has been a launching pad for Native Fashion. So many of the fashion designers and models that have been featured in native, in um, not Native, uh, obviously they've been featured in Native Max, <laughs> Native Fashion Shows. But they've really been able to use what they've learned from, you know, being in Native Max, from working with different photographers within Indian country and doing different fashion shows. Like they've been able to translate that into their own launching pad into mainstream fashion. Like we have Native models who started out as teenagers and doing, you know, very shyly coming to auditions gaining that confidence to audition for, you know, New York Fashion Week and LA Fashion Week and taking the opportunity to model in those spaces and really kind of show people that, you know, Native women are still here and that we're every bit as capable, every bit as beautiful as any other woman. And it's been beautiful to see just how many models and how many designers have really built successful careers from just the experiences that they've had with native max and like the native fashion industry. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm so proud of everyone that we've worked with uh, in the almost 10 years of us doing this. We've, we've worked with a lot of people (laughs) over the years and it's, it's amazing to, you know, um, meet somebody who's just starting out and whatever they're doing and to work with them or to feature them and then to see them to get to where they're at now. It just makes me so happy. And it definitely is, you know, the fuel that I need to keep doing this work. Cause obviously this work is very tiring and exhausting. And, you know, there's a lot of times where I have to put things first before my own care 
And I have to learn how to balance that out and, you know, take a step back and take care of myself because we, I consider myself a community leader and a lot of tribes a long time ago and speaking from my experience in my tribe, um, there were women who were community leaders who helped with the feeds, who helped, you know, with different activities, helped with kids, helped with elders and, you know, sat on the council with the, um, the council of um, chiefs making decisions, you know, so I consider myself a descendant of that role, but taking care of a community is exhausting. And, you know, there's so many times Johnny can tell you, I don't know how many times I called her in tears. I just wanted to quit because a lot of times I'm not getting, I'm not like seeing results from my hard work or I just feel like I'm not doing anything something's falling apart like you know and and it's natural to feel that way when you're working so hard on something and there are so many times I just wanted to quit but you know with the support system like Johnny and all of these other people in my life um continuing continually telling me to keep going and to keep on this journey that I'm on and seriously every time I felt like quitting something would happen the creator would come and like do something that would remind me to keep going and um yeah so I I feel like um it's definitely uh difficult but um I don't I don't take this role lightly either I don't take this this um journey lightly I go at everything 100% and I try to do everything with a humble heart and, you know, um, and I, I'm always learning every day. I'm learning something. I don't think I know everything. I don't know everything. <laughs> I, so I, I continue to learn too. I'm not, you know, definitely like, oh, I'm, I don't need to learn anymore, whatever. I don't do that either. <laughs> um, so definitely a, a tough journey, but I'm so glad to be, you know, uh, doing this. It's a, um, a privilege um, because I, back when 16 years old, I couldn't tell you I'd be doing this. If you went back in time and been like little Kelly, little big Kelly, cause I was small, <laughs> little big Kelly or little or big little Kelly, whatever. Like, Hey, you're going to be doing this. I would look at you and I'd be like, who are you? And what are you talking about? That's not me. That would never be me. It's so, you know? it's so true because, you know, I tell people like when they ask me like about the work that I'm doing now, you know, and they asked me, like, how did you get into this? You know, I always credit you and Native Max because that's where I kind of found my voice. And that's where I found my confidence to and to start thinking about things in a big like a bigger picture of like the conversations that we need to have. And, you know, again, it's that support you are talking about, like with Native Max, like we've always built each other up and supported each other like through thick and thin and especially with native max because there were a lot of growing pains um you know it was kelly's paid for this out of her po own pocket and you know again like everybody was trying to pitch in here and there just making sure that we had the funding and were able to put on these fashion shows and really deliver because people were giving us opportunities but 
they weren't necessarily backing those opportunities with the funding we needed. So, <laughs> you know, and, the, and that's so true with a lot of Native projects. Like, we'll have opportunities. We'll be invited to speak here or, you know, invited to help on a project. But we don't necessarily get funded to do that. So everything will have to come out of our own pocket. Like we don't get the same financial backing that a lot of other projects and people do. And it puts a lot of strain. Like there's a lot of native projects that, you know, I was so excited to see that they had the opportunity there, but, you know, it's something that they would have had to fund themselves and, you know, and find that funding themselves. And we don't necessarily have access to those networks. Like we're starting to now because, you know, we have native banks now, we have native investors and people that are looking to invest in our own communities. So we kind of are starting to build those networks, but it's still hard for native creatives to have the funding necessary and it's it's a lot of strength mm -hmm. because you know like you're trying to yeah. fund your passion and you have a vision that you want to see through but you know you also have to pay bills <laughs> and, and you know mm -hmm. Kelly has two beautiful kids and a family and you know like I've always seen her struggle to kind of find that balance and you know, like I see it in the work that I do, like it's always a struggle to find balance of taking care of yourself, making sure you're paying bills and, you know, still like not burning yourself out on what you're doing. Like it's such a hard balance to keep mm -hmm. because it takes a toll, like it physically takes a toll <laughs> because I remember when Kelly got pregnant for the second time and morning sickness hit her and it came at a time right when we were getting to release an issue and we had to kind of push back the release date and it was a lot of pressure you know trying to make sure and assure people that this issue was still coming out but that we had to delay it and you know like because it's not just us it's not just our work that we're putting out there you know it's the photographers we work with it's the writers and it's stressing <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, it's we definitely had um, growing pains along the way there, you know, was this huge interest, but there's no like fuel to keep it going, like to keep the train going. You know, there's a lot to it and, you know, a lot more than what I anticipated. And, you know, Johnny's right. Like nowadays, there's so much like resources and um, opportunities to grow your business. And, but for creatives, it's really hard because our business ideas don't fall into the typical boxes that, you know, a lot of other businesses that get funded do. And that's not, you know, that's not um, trying to point any fingers or anything it's just it, it that was the reality of it then and um you know a lot of people thought this was a bad idea that you know natamax was such a bad idea and um something that wouldn't succeed but i felt so strongly about it and i i felt really um empowered to keep going with Natamax when the whole issue with um, the Victoria's Secret model, Carly Kloss, you know, she donned a floor length headdress out on the runway and people were like news outlets were reaching out to me 
asking me for my opinion. And when I would share why this was wrong, people were so shocked and surprised that this would even offend us. And that right there told me why I needed to create Native Max and why I need to keep going with this. And yeah, funding opportunities definitely did not come by. And the ones that did, I couldn't go through with them because it really went against my morals and beliefs, you know, meaning, um, polluters, you know, the world's biggest polluters, oil, you know, they came by and they said, Hey, we love this little thing you got going here. I want to write you this much money check worth check or whatever. And, um, but I couldn't. And I think I, I let Johnny know I couldn't, I felt so heartbroken, but I just couldn't do it. You know, and there were other opportunities like this that came by. Um, but it would mean compromising my dreams, compromising my mission and my morals. It would change what Native Max would be. And I felt like it wouldn't be what I wanted it to be. Ultimately, it would be taken and it would be morphed into something different and probably wouldn't even be what it was today and make the impact that it has. So I couldn't move forward with any of that. And it just really, you know, it breaks your heart because a part of you thinks, oh, I could do this and be this. But at the same time, you're compromising what, you know, you believe in and what you set out to do. So definitely um, there were a lot of struggles along the way and um also morning sickness, like Donnie shared when I was pregnant with my second child, which is my daughter, she actually turns, uh, or she just turned seven. I was super sick and I'm not just, <laughs> I'm not just exaggerating. Seriously. I was hospitalized cause I was so dehydrated. So, um, but she's a little feisty little girl now. Um, I call her Queenie because she's very bossy, very resilient, and very stubborn. She's basically a, na- a little Native woman. It's basically you. <laughs> so <laughs> I kind of celebrate it, you know, because I know she'll be that way growing up, you know, and yep. as an adult. So I definitely encourage her all the time and uh, work my work my best to, you know, be there for her. Um, so, uh, but yeah. Uh, homegirl made me sick so <laughs> it really is so yeah we ran into a lot of issues with that too when I, I was sick with my pregnancy it was it was it didn't make anything easier on me but definitely those were some of the struggles that we went through at the beginning. oh yeah and trust me you know like you guys I talk about my health struggles and I laugh that I literally have blood poured into Native Max because there was an article I was doing for um, HIV Awareness Month and encouraging people to go get tested for HIV and AIDS. And so I actually went to go get tested myself, but I was having clotting issues. <laughs> and this was right before I was actually supposed to leave for Denver for, um, I believe it was the first Native Fashion in the City fashion show. And um, I was getting ready to head out. I thought I'll go and get this test done and you know finish the article on the ride over and you know we'll be gravy. 
No, somebody didn't stop bleeding. <laughs> and I had to be hospitalized because, you know, I, I wouldn't stop bleeding. And it was so funny to me because I was thinking, oh, man, I'm literally bleeding for Native Max here. <laughs> and if I don't, it was. Oh. <laughs> but, but, you know, like, it's funny because, like, we've gone through so many struggles, like, in the early days of Native Max. And, you know, I think it's such a beautiful thing that you know, it's grown to the point that it has, like, even with all the growing pains, all the obstacles, like somehow we've always kind of like found our way around those obstacles to, you know, build something beautiful and something that's going to last because now your little girl has an empire to inherit. And, oh yeah, you know, I think one of the things that, you know, I really am struck by too is just the vision, how the vision has grown from, you know, a print magazine to hosting the fashion shows to, you know, now you're going into podcasting and video and you've done a couple of series, like the last one on the tattoos on the native tattoo artists, like that was phenomenal. And so I would like to know more about how that came about. The tattoo series. So I, let me think. Where did I first think of this? Oh, so I went to Oklahoma last, uh, what year is it? With the pandemic, I'm so lost on my years. Last last uh, Labor Day weekend. So it was 2020. Um, my best friend, Alyssa, and I, she's Choctaw. She, in Seminole. We went to um, Natalie Standing Cloud, and she is an amazing... Um, tattoo artist and she's Cherokee and other tribes she has other tribes but I don't want to butcher it but she's an amazing tattoo artist and she's tattooing in Oklahoma which obviously tattoo was outlawed until like 10 years ago or something like yeah within Oklahoma state lines (laughs) yeah yeah so it was still very controversial but it's thriving. The tattoo scene is thriving there. And, um, she's also the only like female native tattoo artist in the area. And so I, we went down there, Alyssa wanted to get a tattoo done. She got deer woman on her arm by Natalie and we went down there and Natalie just shared so much with us how she, is usually the top native tattoo artist to go to down there because um, she knows the syllabry and how to make a native tattoo, you know, authentic. And what I mean by that is because, and why I'm saying that is because um, she usually gets people that complain and come to her and say, I asked for this native tattoo art from, I asked for this native style tattoo from, a non-native tattoo artist and look what they did. Like, so she's seen a lot of that. And then she's seen a lot of, you know, appropriation with tattooing as well. And, you know, just her story was so amazing. And the way she tattoos, she mixes, she infuses her traditional tribal or not tribal. I don't want to say that. Sorry. Her, her tribes, art, history, story, storytelling, culture, all of that into modern style tattooing. And even her style is very different and unique. So I just really could not 
stop thinking about her and like this whole story. So I put her on the cover of our November issue last year. And I really talked with her about storytelling in ink. And when I wrote that story, I, again, was just like, there's so many native tattoo artists out there who aren't really getting the coverage, you know, from media outlets. And I like native tattoo artists, indigenous tattoo artists, you know, are doing, uh, they're very multifaceted people. They're multifaceted artists and multi-talented because they're not only tattooing, but they're also having they're they're also wanting to incorporate their traditional art and storytelling into the tattoos while being respectful and paying respects to the person who's getting the tattoo so there's so many like you know there's so many sides here there's so much like it's just crazy. I could go on and on about it, but I wanted to tell that story and I wanted to, you know, really touch base on that. So yeah, well, it was a I, phenomenal series because the thing that I really love about native tattoo artists as well is that, you know, in a way they're reclaiming lost traditional practices um, because so many of our practices have been, yes outlawed um, or just kind of lost through the ages because of colonization and the way that some of our nations have been Christianized. And so tattoos have been kind of looked down on. Because I remember, um, oh, I cannot remember their names now, but I remember we got such backlash for one of the issues when we put two of, um, I believe they were Inuit. I believe they were from Alaska. But um, we had two designers that we put on the cover who had traditional tattoos and piercings. And we got such backlash from that issue for putting them on the cover because people couldn't believe that we put two tattooed women on on the issue. And we had to go through and explain, like, these are traditional tattoos. Like, these aren't, you know, like, these have meaning to these women and their tribal histories. Like, this is a part of their identity. Like, even the piercings are part of their identity. And I remember we couldn't believe the backlash because of the fact that it was part of their traditional identity and part of the story that they shared with us. And we were getting backlash for it because people within our own community had trouble with tattoos and you know because they were seen as they're still just now getting to not be seen as taboo or as these things that could ruin your job prospects like they're just now starting to be accepted within our communities and i really love that resurgence of tribal tattoos um, because you know it's not only in the art that they're sharing it's in the way that they're creating those tattoos um you know like I don't have any tattoos, but the only people I think I would let tattoo me is Kyra Murillo. And I believe I just butchered her last name, but she is a phenomenal native tattoo artist. And she is so good that she'll open her books in December. And within an hour, she is sold out for the next year. And, you know, even her store, she posted the other day that she had um, restocked her store. And I was thinking, you know what? I'm going to get me a shirt for Christmas. I went to her site like 11 minutes after she posted and it was sold out. Yes. 
so this is why I love our tattoo artists, our native tattoo artists, because um, they also are self-taught. They're self-taught artists. And I had the chance to interview Kira uh, for this uh, series. And she taught herself how to tattoo based off of her talent of um, drawing on parflesh. So parflesh is dried hide, painting on dried hide. So she grew up doing that and had a knack for it and decided to apply that to her tattooing and look at the dope work that she does. So, you know, and, and same thing with Natalie. She learned from her dad who was in prison, who learned how to tattoo in prison. So she was able to take that and really excel with that. And um, I, another tattoo artist I interviewed is Kevin Powers, who's Oglala Lakota from South Dakota. And he has a tattoo shop here and he's older. He's the veteran tattoo artist, but he learned from um, just being an apprentice and learning off of somebody and really working himself up. So um, that's what really makes these tattoo artists just amazing is that they were able to really teach themselves apply and they're artists they're like artists in you know away from tattooing they're artists in their own mediums they grew up doing art and they were able to take their knack for their art and put it toward uh, put it towards tattooing which is so so cool it's amazing their process of everything and you know back to what you were saying you know, tattoos were looked down upon, uh, are looked down upon in our native communities. Tattoos are still taboo. I remember when I first got my tattoo, I just heard so much negative feedback from my family. And it really hurt my feelings. Um, because, you know, when you are told that, you know, you're, you're going to go to hell for tattoos, like, it's like, well, how can I continue living with my life then if I'm being told I'm just going to go straight to hell because I got a tattoo. But then I recently learned that we had in our story, in our Lakota stories, um, in our beliefs, we have a, um, we have a signal on us, like a tattoo in our whole lives. We, in our life's journey, we get a tattoo. We can't see it now. But supposedly when you, um, or it's believed that when you cross over the Milky Way into the spirit world after you pass, after you walk on, there's an owl that sits at the front, at the doorway of the spirit world. And if you have this tattoo on you, you're allowed in. So that was a belief in our, in our culture. And I heard this from so many other people that I'm just like, well, why, how can we forget such you know, such a lesson. How can we have just really forgotten about that? And that's not just with my culture. There's so many cultures out there too. Other tribes, you know, the people had tattoos, traditional tattoos, and now they're looked down upon because of uh, colonization. So that's what I really hope to do with this series too, is just to bring that belief back that, you know, hey, our people once believed in this. So we need to reclaim that as well and you know looking back and tattoos are not just tattoos but piercings as well I could go on about piercings and going to the um which one is this one um the spring summer 2013 issue um mother and daughter Shaksani and her daughter Mercedes were on our cover and they're clink it 
and they have um nose um ah I forgot what they're called but they're ah I forgot they're called but they sit right here <laughs> I can't show anybody but they're and I totally forgot what they're called but they have those um pieces that sit in their nose and you know it tells you know your your family your it really tells a lot about a person um these pieces these nose pieces and they're very beautiful um they're I think in this cover they're made of abalone shell but they're a big part of their culture and they were so proud to wear this on the cover as all of us if we were given a chance to be on a cover of a magazine would we want to incorporate our traditions and our culture into it too I would you know and that's what they wanted to do along with the seal skin that they were known for making and that's a, again a part of their culture but I we were met with negative backlash because of that. There were actually stores that didn't want to sell Native Max magazine because we signed with them like, hey, we're going to sell your magazine in our stores. Just send our the magazines to this address when it comes out. And we said, okay. We'd ship them to them. They took one look at it and said no. And I would ask them why. Oh, because they have piercings on the cover. We don't want that. You know, so it's just really sad. It's it's really sad that, you know, a lot of the a lot of those in the community are still still think still have those beliefs. Yep. And, and it's changing though, which is a good thing because you know, I'm flashing back to the Met Gala when we had Quana Chasing Course, you know, who killed it at the Met. But, you know, she has her facial tattoos and she's basically a national supermodel right now. And, you know, she's really kind of helping to change that narrative about native tattoos and helping them to become more normalized. Because I, one of the things that I'm waiting and, you know, like with this pandemic, I can't really do anything. But, you know, one of the things that I want to do when I get the opportunity is to get my tribal facial tattoos. Um, because it is a big part of who we are as Indigenous people. And I think it's important that we start reclaiming these um, lost arts, these lost traditions and the meaning behind them. Because, you know, it's shaping who we're going to be. And yes. I think that's so important, you know, just because I want our youth to know that, you know, these that it's okay to have a tattoo, but it's also okay to start learning about more about tattoos, like where they come from and what they mean in their specific tribal community and, you know, how they themselves can earn those tattoos. Because that's the other thing with tattoos in native communities is that we earn them through, you know, the, through the work that we do, through the status that we hold in our communities, um, and they're an honor to have those tattoos. And so, you know, I really love that we're starting to reclaim that, but also worried a little bit because also because Kwana is so high profile, um, you know, of course, native art, our tattoos, our imagery, all of these things get appropriated. And we've already started to see, you know, non-native women getting traditional tattoos. We've seen non-native women getting Inuit tattoos specifically that um, are very specific to fa uh, specific families within the tribe. 
and have a and have a certain specific designation and but they'll find pictures and they'll take it to a tattoo artist and be like you know this is what i want and it kind of cheapens what those tattoos mean like it they're taking the something that is powerful for a family and that has been passed down for generations and just using it as decoration you know because it looks cool because it looks trendy and it's such a disheartening thing to see because you know i've kind of experienced that myself because you know i'm choctaw and with choctaw we choose our indian names um but mine was passed kind of passed down it belonged to my one of my grandmas and she wanted me to have that name and so the thing that really ticked me off about it was that it's used a lot by non-natives that are kind of new agey like i see it being used for like names of yoga studios <laughs> and uh, just all these little hokey essential oil businesses and it's just like what the heck <laughs> and all because you know yeah. because in our language it means um path of peace and so, you know, like people see that think, oh, that's very trendy. That's very cute. We're going to name our yoga studio after it. And I'm just like, oh, geez, because, <laughs> you know, it because it means something to us. You know, it means it's something that was passed down in our family. You know, it has meaning in our tribe. And, you know, like even on my Oto side, my tribal name on my Oto side can be traced back to our creation story. And, you know, our, that's how long it has been in our family. And it just, it always just breaks my heart when you see these things being appropriated because people always tell us, you know, it's no big deal. I don't know why you're getting so upset. Culture is meant to be shared. And it's like, yeah, there's parts of our culture that can be shared. But sharing means that we share it with you, that you don't take it from us. And we know what can and can't be shared. And there are boundaries that can't be crossed. But, you know, like, so it really kind of, it makes me proud that this is happening, but it also makes me scared because we just know how easily it gets appropriated. Definitely. I, I agree with that too. It's just, it's really sad because, you know, for ever, usually the cultures of, you know, um, black and brown people are usually um, uh, appropriated and taken from us, you know, forever, it seems. And it's definitely a delicate balance or like a, you know, it's a tricky thing to walk it's really hard um because you know this is our lives this is our you know this is our way of life but and we're wanting to reconnect reclaim all of that because it's been violently taken away from us but at the same time that's something that we are going to have to deal with is appropriation you know and it's not just fashion obviously it's also art and culture and tattoos and um our stories even um so it, it's really hard and it's really sad to deal with that it's like everything's always having to be taken from us in one form or another but yeah I totally understand um I totally agree with what you 
Yeah. And I think that's another important reason, you know, why Native Max has always been just so important too, because it kind of tackled that. And it shows like parts of our culture that can be shared, especially within fashion. Like it gives people an idea of the native fashion that exists. And it's not all fringe and buckskin. It's not all turquoise. Like it's very contemporary, very modern, but yet traditional. And because it tells the stories of who we are as native people, you know, through the sewing, through the designing, it's such a beautiful thing because it kind of sets those boundaries too. Like, okay, if we're sharing this with you, like this is what you can wear. <laughs> like buy from native designers, buy from, you know, native bead workers, you know, buy from native artists. Don't buy from Urban Outfitters <laughs> or, you know, Ralph Lauren or these companies that ha- that just take those designs without ever giving credit or even making sure that the indigenous people whose designs they're stealing, that they're not being, you know, that they're compensating them for that. You know, it's making sure that people know that, yes, it's okay to be inspired by Native fashion or these designs. And there's things that you can wear that are appropriate for you, but you also need to know what's not appropriate. Like you need to know the boundaries. And also, I don't know about you, but authentic Native fashion to me is incredibly beautiful and powerful, but kind of the cheap stuff you find at Urban Outfitters and, you know, like the generic little tribal prints that you find, they're ugly. And mm-hmm. the knockoff <laughs> beadwork is horrendous. That's what makes Native fashion, Indigenous fashion unique because there was so much time, energy, effort, and love that went into creating whatever it is that you're buying from a native artist, whether it's, you know, a ribbon skirt, regalia. Um, well, um, sorry, not regalia. Cause I'm also speaking to non-natives and non-natives don't wear regalia. Um, like ribbon skirts or um, jewelry, even screen printed, you know, apparel. There's, so much that goes into what you are wearing and there's also so much history you know we are um so full of knowledge and stories and you know we're descendants of resiliency so there's a lot that goes into what you are purchasing and um you won't find anything like what you are going to purchase from anywhere in the world like it's all going to be unique even indigenous people from all over the world whatever you're going to purchase is is so unique there's so much story and culture behind it so there's it's a that's just what makes like indigenous fashion very unique from anything out there and usually some native designers too Sorry, I was going to say, and you're getting like, you know, like you said, unique pieces. If you're buying indigenous art, chances are no one else is going to have that. And well, of course, unless it's like the screen printed apparel and stuff. But like if you're talking beadwork and jewelry, usually you're getting a one off piece. And so you know that it is not only authentic, but that you're not going to see a million other people wearing that same thing. And yeah, they create, and yep. they create yep. conversation. 
Definitely. There's, there's just so much imagination that go into everything. And even um, like a screen printer like Jared Yazi with OXDX, he's one of my favorite artists. And we actually go way back. Um, he, when he prints his stuff, it's usually in limited quantities because he wants to keep that uniqueness and that sort of ex- exclusive exclusivity with it. Like, Hey, I am only releasing, you know, a limited amount because I don't want this to be mass produced, you know, thrown out into the world. I, I want it to still be intimate and still to be, you know, small. And I want you to feel special when you own a piece of mine or a piece of this collection. So that's why a lot of his stuff sell out so quick and he doesn't, you know, continue to create the same thing. And that's why, he sells out, he sells out all the time. So I usually get people who ask me like, Hey, can you ask him to print more? And I just say, just keep up with, you know, whatever he launches next. Sell out. I have several of his shirts and I've, every time he does a launch, I'm in there (laughs) because I'm just like, I may not get one, but I, you know, it might make it in my basket. And, you know, even if I can't afford it, it's worth going broke for, (laughs) you know, I mean, they are, they're very special pieces. Like, you know, I have my t-shirt design shop as well. And, you know, I think one of the things that I really love about it is that people are wearing my art and, you know, it makes me feel good because I find like a lot of healing in designing the t-shirts and creating that art. But also at the same time, like I totally understand where appropriation gets hard, you know, not just because we've seen it, but now because as an artist, you know, I've had, I've seen it happen to me um, because one of my more popular t-shirts, which is um, we are the science fiction of our ancestors tea. Um, you know, I worked really hard on that design and it's something that means a lot to me as an indigenerd and as somebody who talks about indigenous futurisms, because, you know, that's where I find like a lot of hope and it's where, where a lot of my optimism comes from is believing in our indigenous futures. And, but that design got stolen and, you know, you can search my name and it wasn't that they just stole the design they actually stole my name so if you search for my name you come up with all these like random t-shirt sites that are selling my design and for a lot cheaper than i am and you know worse quality and you know it kind it hurts because like you know as indigenous people like we've had so much stolen from us and when we create and when we're you know creating like our art like it means something to us like it's not something that we're just doing for the heck of it like we're creating something that means something to us and is important to us at the moment that we're creating it and you know for that shirt to get stolen just was like a slap in the face to me because you know like I take a lot of pride in that shirt um (laughs) because so much work went into it so much thought into making sure like it was getting the message across that I wanted it to and to see it on all these places and to know that a lot of these other t-shirt companies too have the means to promote and to buy ads but I'm not getting any compensation from any of those sales 
And so, you know, they're literally taking money from a native artist. And it's so heartbreaking to see that because I know it's not just happening to me. Like we see a lot of these fake native, like Facebook profiles and Instagrams where they're called like native pride and they take our pictures and they'll put, you know, whatever t-shirt design, like whatever t-shirt we're designing, they, they will literally erase the design on our t-shirts to put on whatever design they're trying to take. Or they'll take pictures that they see natives wearing like Jared Yazzie shirts, or, um, you know, I've seen a couple wearing some B Yellowtail shirts and they'll take them and promote them on their site. And, you know, none of us get compensated for them using our pictures. They don't have permission to use our pictures. But more than that, like, they don't have permission to use the art from the Native artist. And it's just, like, mm -hmm. it's so devastating to see that happen. <laughs> and, you know, like, we talk about appropriation all the time. And I don't think people understand because, you know, for the most part, like, we're told um, imitation is the greatest form of flattery. You know, and it's like, yeah, but you're literally taking money from us. Like you're literally causing us harm through this. And it's mm -hmm. it's so heartbreaking and frustrating because one, we're creating that art to share. You know, like we're creating an equitable exchange. Like we're creating this art, you give me money, you get a teacher or you get a print. You know, like we're sharing that part and you know, like we're kind of, equally helping each other out um and so like it kind of like stings to have it stolen because then it's no longer that exchange of a story or a sh exchange of you know like your art or your creation it's theft and it's not flattering at all to anybody <laughs> no it's it's not. And I know you've been with me too. When I had my design stolen, um, I designed at the time, like I designed brochures promoting the magazine because we would put up like a booth at a powwow somewhere and people stole designs. Like I would create graphic designs for us and even down to like, um, one of our mobile apps, like, you know, it, so it's, it is, it's, you know, you put so much into um, your art and for it to just blatantly be taken. It's really sad because, you know, again, as native people, we're used to stuff being stolen from us. Everyone wants to steal from us. us poor guys. <laughs> for real. Um, my mom says that my mom says that all the time. Like she, you know, she's funny, but, um, you know, but that's the truth, though, and it brings up the, um, you know, the issue with um, copyright and um, uh, I can't even think. Proper, <laughs> can't think of that word. <laughs> uh, proper intellectual property. Hey, um, that it. You know, because as Native people, we don't believe in owning anything, right? But there's times where we have to explore that those options to save ourselves and to save, you know, our livelihoods, because ultimately this, this is our livelihood. This is our life. This is how we put food on the table and keep the lights on and keep a roof over our heads. Um, so it is pretty tough. Um, you know, like I, always, I say with everything, being an indigenous person, being a native person, is hard. Yep. 
Because, <laughs> you know, all this well, stuff this is a true you know? story, people. Like, when she says people stole, like, our designs, it was literally <laughs> our branding kit. Our press kit. Oh, my gosh. And every, they literally <laughs> took everything and changed pictures, but they forgot to change the wording, which is how they got caught. Because they shared, like, they sent us this press kit, which is ridiculous in retrospect (laughs) because it was also like how did you not expect us to notice when you're sending it to us but it was so funny because I remember being shocked like wait a second what is this because I thought they were sending us their press kit but it was our press kit and then I noticed that oh yeah they just literally changed a couple of pictures but when you went through the text it was word for word our text with each, which even said native max. (laughs) Yeah. And they even copied. So you, um, if anyone knows the green bead, um, the belief or the, the saying of the green bead, you know, um, anything that you create, um, as a native person, you have to do it with humility and, you can't be perfect. As much as I do try to be perfect on everything, I will always leave a small little like oopsie because on anything that I do, because um, you can't strive for perfection in the eyes of the creator. Um, at least that's, this is what I believe. And this is my experience. And so um, I would do that with my work and I put, one of those in the in our press kit that she's talking about, and they copied that. <laughs> they copied my green bean. Yeah, it was all started like, to wear like. Wait, did they really just leave that too? But it was <laughs> so funny because I could not believe at the time that anybody would do that, much less send it to See, the people that they were stealing it from. I uh, like it was, um, and I guess this. <laughs> Oh yeah, it was such an odd experience to have that happen because, you know, it's like, what the heck? Like, because here's the other thing, you know, with Native Max, like it's never just been about, you know, creating Native Max or working on our own magazine. Like we've always offered services to other people, like whether it was with graphic design or helping them put together their own publications, like we've always offered our services to people. Like, we will help you. We will help promote your work. You know, whatever you need us to do, just let us know and we will do it to the best of our ability. So it seemed really odd at the time that somebody would, you know, resort to just taking and copying word for word something that was created by us when we could have easily have helped them, you know, brand themselves and create something that was very unique to their voice. Definitely. And that's what told me that we're making it. We're doing something for someone to come along and take and, you know, copy. And, um, you know, it, at the time, I know it was very frustrating, but at the same time, it literally was something that I looked at as like, wow, this is, you know, <laughs> like a certification sort of like, I'm actually doing something that people like then. Wow. It was. Because, you know, I feel that Native Max has always been kind of slept on. Um, So I do remember at that time, like, okay, I know I just said that imitation is not flattery, but at that time, it kind of was because we were pretty much being ignored. Um, 
you know, even with all the work we were doing, with all the fanfare, Native Max kind of never really, even still to this day, I feel like they kind of get slept on. Like when it comes to talking about like Native fashion, you know, even though you have a Native fashion magazine that was the first Native fashion magazine and has launched a lot of Native fashion designers' careers, that they're never really invited to speak on indigenous fashion and never included in those bigger conversations that are happening. Like it's very rare, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to have Kelly on to talk with her about her experience with Native Max and to kind of help shine some more light because Kelly's story is unique and it's so beautiful. And, you know, if it wasn't for Kelly, like there's a lot of us who would not be doing what we're doing right now. Like we would not be where we are if we hadn't started with Kelly and Native Max and having the support that was offered there. And so, you know, like it's 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 one of those things where, you know, at the time, like and even now, like I'm still in disbelief it happened. But yeah, like at the time, it was kind of flattering because it was a little bit of validation that we were doing something worthwhile. Oh, woman, that that really makes me very happy to hear those words. Again, I do everything with a humble heart. I don't ever, ever think I am this great, you know, thing. I just do what I do because this is really what I love to do. I love to create platforms and I love to create these opportunities for other people to, you know, tell their stories and to even explore their talents and, you know, get it out there in the world because I didn't have that when I was a kid. So, um, you know, hearing those words definitely just keeps me going, keeps me motivated and, um, you know, keeps me inspired to just uh, keep doing this work that I'm doing. Cause again, it's tiring, but just hearing those words from Johnny is, you know, very comforting and just helps me um, <clears throat> keep on going. And um, yeah, I, I love doing this. Yeah, it's this fun a, because pretty cool. You know, I think the other thing, you know, like I think back on it and I think it's funny because I'm like 10 years older than Kelly and people used to ask me, like, how, 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 how did I work for somebody who was younger than me or take, you know, take directions and have a boss that was younger and everything. And it, to me, it was very easy um, <laughs> because Kelly is so sure of the vision that she has. Like she had everything laid out. So it was kind of easy to like fall in line and follow her lead and to trust that because it's very rare. Like, you know, like I grew up where we didn't have native representation either. And so it was incredible for me to see somebody who was starting out so young, but had that courage and self-confidence to know that they could do this. And they had the vision, like when she pulled out her notebooks, you know, I mean, she has notebooks <laughs> about about what she wanted Native <laughs> Max to do. And like she said, you know, this was something that she thought of when she was like 13 and started working on it when she was 16. And to see her bring that into fruition, like to make that dream a reality was so incredible because to be honest, I didn't even start thinking about who I wanted to be or what I wanted to be in this world 
until I was in my late twenties because well, one, I wasn't supposed to make it to 19. So I was kind of like living on that YOLO high because I thought I was going to die. And even when I made it past 19, I thought I'm on borrowed time. So there's no really point of thinking about this, but then I turned 28 and it was like, Oh crap, guys, I'm going to (laughs) live. Like I need to start trying to figure this out (laughs) and see where I want my life to go. And it wasn't until I believe I was, let's see, this was 2012. So I was 32 at the time. And I just happened to see an ad for Native Max in Indian Country Today. And, you know, talking about like, here's this new fashion magazine that's launching. You know, they're looking for writers. They're looking for editors. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to apply because I'd always want to be a writer. And so I just sent in my application and then Kelly got back to me and it was kind of funny. And I still laugh at this because when she brought me on, she brought me on as the fashion editor. And if you guys have ever seen me in person, you know, my attire is basically Star Wars tee, jeans and a hoodie. (laughs) And I'm a fashion (laughs) editor. (laughs) Yeah, but it was such a learning experience because you know it helped me find like my confidence it helped me find my voice but it also it opened my eyes because until then I had been so jaded because to me I because I wasn't seeing people like me doing the work that I wanted to do and because our communities were so you know, disconnected, we're very rural, and we don't always, we didn't necessarily have the ways to, you know, see what the work that was going on in each other's communities. So I didn't know that there was a lot of work going on until I started working at Native Max and being able to talk with natives from different communities and seeing, learning about the work that they were doing. And, you know, it really helped me because, you know, like, I talk about my struggles with mental health quite a bit. And, you know, I always felt like I was alone in it. And it wasn't until I was interviewing, um, I can't remember his last name, but Derek, and he does the um, Red Earth Running Company now. But it wasn't until I was interviewing him for an article that I realized that there were a lot of natives who were just like me, that were suicide survivors and were working to try and find ways to, you know, help native youth who we're dealing with mental health issues and dealing with suicide. And it kind of made me realize like, holy crap, like there's all this work that's being done. And it made me realize that the work that we were doing at Native Max was so important because those stories need to be told and that work needs to be elevated. And that's the other thing about Native Max that I always loved is that, you know, from time to time, yes, you will see a lot of the well-known natives that we love and, You know, we love watching them on TV and we love the work that they do, but it's always the same natives over and over and over again. And what I've always loved about Native Max is that we would feature the people who aren't prominent within the media, who aren't necessarily given the platform to showcase their work. Like we've always found the people who are up and coming and given them the opportunity to share their stories and 
I've always thought that was one of the most important things about Native Max. And it was one of the best lessons that I learned, you know, is that, you know, we need to bring people up with us to give people that platform and to help them find their own voice, like not to be the voice for them, which is something that Native Max has always done is like we allow people to be their own voice. We're not speaking for them or, you know, telling them what to say or anything like that. Like we're given empowering them to find their own voice, to find their own confidence. And I don't know, like I've learned a lot from Native Max. And seriously, like when I say I would not be where I am today without Native Max and Kelly, you know, it's absolutely true because, you know, it was my first writing job. It was my first editing job. You know, I got so much experience. And, you know, it allowed me to, you know, start thinking about bigger conversations and to be a little bit more brave about using my voice. And, you know, I started a tribe called Geek and, you know, like I get to do all these wonderful things that I do now, but it, it wouldn't have happened if I hadn't had the experiences that I did at Native Max and with watching Kelly grow. Oh, thank you, Lillian. I appreciate that. Because it is. It makes me so it's happy. amazing to see how far you've come. <laughs> oh yeah, it's a long. It's been such a long journey, but every day I, I want to do this, this work. I don't know where I find the energy, but it's there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and since you know we're coming up on time, um, if there's anybody listening who wants to ask Kelly any questions about the work that she's doing, just hit the little request to speak button, and I will get you on with Kelly. So, and if not, you know, thank you all for listening. You know, it's been such a joy to be able to talk with Kelly about Native Max because one, I love Native Max still. <laughs> it Yay. It's still one of my favorite publications because one, the photography is phenomenal, which, you know, I'm going to take this moment. So, um, you know, recently, like Native Max has always been a close knit team. And we recently lost Zoe Friday, who was an essential part of Native Max. Mm -hmm. But anyway, so, <laughs> okay, let me compose myself here. But, you know, um, her family has a GoFundMe to help her husband and her daughter. And I'm going to be sharing the link. And I have shared it. But, um, you know, if any of you guys are out there listening and you have the means, please donate and reshare that link. You know, I know that we would appreciate it, but I know her family would really appreciate that help. Yes. Um, I appreciate you mentioning that, Johnny. Yeah, she's been with us uh, for a very, very long time. I think it was about a year into Native Max when we met, and she's been a big, big part of Native Max and Native fashion in the city. And, you know, anytime you would hear... NFITC or Native Max, you would see her, you know, she'd be such a big part of it. So uh, we lost her last week and, you know, it was uh, very beautiful to go to her family or to go to her um, res, White, uh, Wind River, and to be there for, you know, her services and to meet her family. And I went on behalf of all of us who worked with her 
So it's very heartbreaking. Um, she was such a, you know, bright light. She had so much talent, so much energy within her, but, and she's another reason why I'm going to continue this work. I'm going to work even harder on behalf of her. Cause I know she would be here and, you know, still want me to continue and, um, yeah, so definitely moving forward with her in mind and her part of everything that I do. So I definitely appreciate Johnny for mentioning her and um, definitely consider donating to her family's GoFundMe. Yeah, and she's when we say she was full of life, um, <laughs> she really was. Like, I I can't count the number of times like when you'd be around her, and all you could do is laugh, like it hurt. <laughs> it was, it was that kind of laughter where it literally left you hurting afterwards. But, um, you know, and talking of this before we end out, I have to tell this story because, you know, there's a lot of stereotypes about natives and there's one about native women drivers. And Kelly is the embodiment of that stereotype where her and Zoe were those native women that you do not allow behind a wheel. <laughs> <laughs> because, hey, my ancestors drove a horse around. You cannot blame me. Just kidding. <laughs> this is so true. I guess that's what happens. I I grew up learning on a res, <laughs> driving around on the res. So you put this res, this uh, res kid in the middle of the city. <laughs> it's true, guys. It's scary. Um, but I remember. And this is one of my favorite stories of Kelly and Zoe, but, you know, we were just finished Native Fashion in the City, and we were going out to do a fashion shoot for the magazine while we still had the designers and some of the models there. And um, on the way out, it was me, my aunt Susan, uh, my uncle Dale, and my cousin Alan, we were riding, just driving right behind Kelly and Zoe, and we were following them to the location. And we get to this spot where we saw a sign that said dip ahead. Apparently, Kelly and Zoe did not see this because <laughs> we watched them drive full speed. And it was like a cartoon, like the car went straight over the dip. And then all of a sudden they disappeared. And we were like, what the heck? <laughs> and then all we saw was their car bouncing up so hard. <laughs> And we could see their heads in the car and you could see them like going up in the air. And we almost wrecked because we were laughing so hard driving behind them because they weren't paying attention. But it was just so funny that their car literally just like went straight up like in the air and paused before it dropped. And then just the way that it bounced so hard. <laughs> it was like, I'm surprised they didn't bust a wheel or <laughs> break the car. <laughs> I caught air. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but that's one of my favorite stories from, like, just being around Kelly and Zoe. Because, honestly, like, it's so hard to imagine Kelly without Zoe. Um, because she was such an integral part of Native Max. And, you know, like, kind of was with us through all these growing pains when we had a lot of people that kind of jump ship but she was always like right there and she was always like the biggest cheerleader the biggest supporter and she was that person that would literally throw down for you 
Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, she was, yeah, she was definitely that person, another person in my life that kept me going. And she's taught me so much. And, you know, I learned so much from her too. And especially the, you know, the, I don't give an F attitude, you know, it's not, um, you know, it's not about ego, but it's about, you know, I'm here to do something. And if you're going to hurt me instead of help me, then I I don't want to hear from you. So that's what she taught me. She lived by that. And, and I, every day and everything that she did. um, So that's something that she taught me amongst a whole bunch of other stuff that she's taught me. And she is one of my biggest supporters. And yeah, definitely. um, I miss her a lot. Yeah, it's it's been a pretty shocking time because, you know, it's just so hard to believe that, you know, she's gone. And, you know, like in talking with Kelly, too, like it brings up so many memories. But, you know, like I, I think it's such a wonderful testament to Native Max, too when you look at the team that it has always been behind native max, like we've always been more like sisters and, you know, supporting each other through thick and thin, making sure that we were always there for each other. Like me and Kelly, you know, like we're both busy. So we don't, we aren't always in contact. Like it could be a month. It could be six months that pass before, you know, we call or text each other. And, but it's always like, we don't skip a beat. Like you just, it's like, you, you know, we had just talked the day before, like we pick up right where we left off. And, you know, I think that's one of the things that I've also loved about Native Max is that family that was created there. And, you know, it's, it's beautiful to see it grow and to know that it's going to continue to grow. And I hope that all of you listening um, will go and follow Native Max. So Kelly, would you let people know where they can find you online and how they can help support Native Max. Yes, definitely. So you can read all of our stories and learn more about us at nativemax.com. And we are also on social media. We are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, and um, we are on TikTok. (laughs) That's one of my goals is, um, this quarter is to kind of um, create more TikTok content. We have so many ideas. I actually have a lot of content that I didn't put together. So I got to get on that. And then um, we're also on YouTube. A lot of our video content that we are working on currently will be on there as well. And yeah, so definitely give us a follow and like us. And you can also read all of our issues uh, for free. Uh, on our website as well so definitely uh, go to our website you can see all of our past issues our current issue and you can purchase a physical copy to be sent to you at nativemax.shop and we also have merchandise on there too I designed the prairie rose uh, design for the prairie rose collection that I designed that on my um, iPad And I'm very impressed with myself. So, um, you know, everything that we make just seriously goes back into the magazine, helps us create, keep creating the magazine, you know, because um, it's not cheap keeping this going. But obviously we need it for um, 
we need to keep doing this for our community. So um, definitely help support our business. Please share us as well and support Native Max. Alrighty. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Kelly. And for all you listeners out there, thank you for tuning in to Indigenous Flame. Join us every Monday and Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific time for new episodes. And don't worry if you just stepped in into the middle of this conversation or you missed it altogether because it'll soon be available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and pretty much anywhere that you can listen to podcasts. So, and I will post the links for those shows as they're available. So thank you all for listening and we'll see you Friday. Awesome. Thank you, everyone. (laughs) Good night.